This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, occasionally on this program we talk about politics. Occasionally we talk about issues related to prisoners and their families. And occasionally we talk about some of the struggles that people who've been in the military have had in terms of readjusting to civilian life. And sometimes we even talk about the problems that are going on with drugs. I am thrilled that uh, the gentleman who was kind enough to wake up early and join us right now is someone that has been intimately involved in all of those issues, someone I had the good fortune of being on uh, television with a couple of uh, weeks ago, and uh, someone who's been kind enough to be on this program before, the former governor of New Jersey and the chairman of the New Jersey Reentry Corporation, the one and only Jim McGreevy. Governor, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Uh, Frank, it's great to be with you. And if I can, Frank, can I give a shout out to my friend Mario who is your most devoted listener in the great state of New Jersey? Well, that's quite a title that he's laying claim oh. to. But if uh, if and, he can and, back and, that up with uh, uh, you know an aptitude test or something, then we're, oh, I will yeah, happily yeah, join yeah, no. you in an, uh, in a, a shout out for him, Mario. And and he he owns a restaurant called the White Manor in New Jersey on Tunnelly Avenue in Jersey City, and he has a, and he has a larger bar called Ringside. In fact. Uh, where the where the great Mike Tyson once in a while comes, but the White Mana has been rated in New York, ironically, as the best hamburger. So so Mario claims, and and it's been substantiated that according to I forget whether it was the New York Times or one of the New York papers, the best New York hamburger actually is in Jersey. This so he is, makes a this... he makes a small hamburger called the Slider. And he and he remember you know he told me how the slider works how he puts it on how he slides it across the grill to heat it up I never even knew where like the the word slider came from but it's how you cook the hamburger so I just want to shout out to Mario Costa and I know he's listening and I know I explained it badly the the derivation of the slider. But he is your most devoted fan in Jersey. Well, but, well, thank you, Mario, and I appreciate you mentioning that. This is some restaurant. I'm just picturing the scene at this restaurant. It's almost like the bar in Star Wars. I'm picturing Jim McGreevy eating a hamburger next to Mike Tyson and this guy wearing a, a um, Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano t-shirt all lined up having sliders with one another. I got to check hey, out this place. Jersey. Exactly. 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 No, I, you know, we're, we're going to drag you to this side of, of- this side of the Hudson, and we'll take you to the White Manor. I, I would love it. It's a fancy it. place, but it's all you know—a lot of drive truck drivers, a lot of a lot of families because the hamburgers are so good. 
I, I think uh, it sounds terrific. I got to check it out. Now, it is fortuitous. You know, we've been working on scheduling this appearance for a couple of weeks now, but it's fortuitous that uh, I'm speaking to you today because you have been all over the news uh, for the last 72 hours, more than that, but especially the last 72 hours. National news outlets, local news outlets, everybody is talking about the fact that there's a potential that you may be making some sort of a political comeback. The current mayor of Jersey City is running for governor. He can't keep his current job and run for governor, apparently. And a lot of people, including the mayor of Union, Brian Stack, are trying to get you to run. Governor, let us uh, let us in on your thinking on this process. Are, are you going to be making a political comeback? Well, the first thing is, Frank, I love what I do. And, you know, how you started out the show, I mean, what we do is particularly, you know, when, when guys are coming back, whether it's from addiction treatment or prison or the veterans, and the veterans are actually the toughest cases because of what they've seen, whether on a flight deck or what they've seen in Afghanistan, the, you know, the, the, the trauma and the, and the technology that they work with makes it so much harder. Um, so so the first thing is, I, I just love what I do. Yeah, and, and I want to spend some time talking with you about that, but uh, yeah, obviously. So it's, just, it's just, so, so it's, it's my dear friend, as I said, Brian Stack, who's the mayor of Union City, is a force of nature, and he says, Jim, you know, this is your last act. Um, you know, one of the things that I love, Frank, is that where I live, you know, I can walk down the streets of West Side Avenue, uh, Holy Cross Cemetery, where my grandmother is buried, and it's it's when I joke, but I don't joke. It's it, it, if if I do this, this would be the last act. It's sort of like a coming home, and it's it's something that I'm I'm seriously considering because you know when being mayor is where you still you know where the rubber hits the road, whether it's on snow removal, whether it's it's street paving, whether it's you know it's your basic quality of life. And Jersey City is a great place. It's a great city. It's the second largest city. But, you know, people have to take back their communities and feel that they have a sense of control and ownership. So it would be a great challenge. So I'm thinking about it. Can you give us any idea of what your timetable is for making a decision one way or another? Yeah, it would be it would be something that I'm thinking about, you know, during the course of the summer. And I would it would be, you know, sort of making a decision by the end of summer. Given what you went through when you were governor and kind of the ignominious manner in which that came to an end, everything boy, that you boy, boy, you boy, you gave it a fancy word there. Frank. <laughs> well, we all remember how it ended. Else, but this is family radio, so I'll behave. <laughs> but given everything you've been up to the last two decades, you're you've you've written a book. You've gotten very active in uh, the, the the church. You've been very active in municipal government. You've been very active in the nonprofit sector. Given everything you went through, you know, your time in the public sector, the private sector, yep. the nonprofit sector, do you think that you'd be a better public official today than you were twenty years ago? You know, that's a that's a great question. I I, I think that when you go through stuff. And I'm and I'm used to being in prison, so I like I got to clean up my my act here. But when you go through stuff, and you realize that a lot of other people go through stuff, it, one it makes you more compassionate. Um, two, for me, you know I'm blessed, but a lot of folks, frankly, have a lot of challenges in life, 
and the guys that I work with are so grateful. So it, it just grounds you in gratitude. But three, you see that when when government works, it can do so much good. So I think it it, it certainly has changed me as a person. Um, it's made me more aware, Frank, of struggles that other people have, whether it's with their kids, um, with their family, and and parents dealing with parents. I mean, the the opportunity you just talked about with the church, um, how we're working with parishes to to connect parents to treatment, clinical-based treatment through the parish so that if some kid, if somebody's son or daughter is, is suffering from heroin overdose or or tragically, you know, taking benzos or, or whatever they're doing, cocaine, that we're connecting them to treatment. And just dealing with that parent during that point of agony, it, it makes you so much, well, for me, I can't, it's made me so much of a of a better father, um, a better person because you just one you see somebody else's pain and you, see, you know, but for the grace of God there would go there would go I or over my grandmother would say it sure but I mean it's just it's just it, it has made me a, a a better person. Talking with former New Jersey Governor Jim McGreevy, my last political question, and then I want to talk to you about some more much more important issues. And one of your successors is now running for president, uh, Chris Christie. He is uh, running a very different type of campaign than the uh, the other candidates that are running as a Republican this time around. I'm sure you've had a ringside seat for uh, Chris Christie's ascent as a U.S. attorney, as a governor, and as a presidential candidate now for the second time. How do you handicap uh, Christie's chances in the presidential ca- in the presidential race? Well, I, you know, I happen to be a big Chris fan. I mean, when when I was and we started out with reentry, I think you know more than anyone. I mean, and and New Jersey has a great tradition of Democrats and and Republicans working together. Whether it was Governor Kane, who I had the pleasure of working for, Governor Whitman, or Jim Florio, or or Governor Murphy. I mean, people work together, but. Chris at that time really understood, and I think it was because he was a U.S. attorney, on the issue of drugs, on the issue of narcotics, that that we had to do something more than just lock these kids up, lock these young people up, that we had to provide for them for treatment. Um, and he, he, he jumped in that with any encouragement. In fact, you know, when we first started out in New Jersey reentry, uh, we were in Jersey City, and he said, Jim, you know, do Newark, do Patterson. He also had me go down to Ocean County, uh, which was then, Frank, the epicenter of the uh, sort of the expansion of, of drug deaths, the overdose deaths, because it, these young these young people were just were chasing dope, were chasing heroin, and it was just you know fentanyl was just starting to come. But Chris, as a U.S. attorney, and he was you know clearly more aware than ever I was on the drug trade and how it moved throughout, understood like sort of the next wave. So I think, you know, Chris is trying in his own way. It's straight talk. You know, Frank, I I saw a great play yesterday. My daughter took me for Father's Day um, to uh, a place called St. Clement's um, in in sort of in the theater district and with, with our friend David Rothenberg. And basically, it was a story about Dwight Eisenhower, not, you know, and it talks about him as a general and 
World War II and D-Day, but it really focuses on his presidency. And, you know, what, what Ike was all about was about straight talk, his strength, um, his, his, I wouldn't say his failures, but his setbacks. And it's a great play. And I think, you know, there was a time when I grew up, you know, when you had strong, you know, Republicans that were more mainstream. And I think that's what Chris is trying to claim. Give me the name of that play again, because I may have to check that out myself. Yeah, check it out. It's called, like, Eisenhower. It's, it's called uh, simply Eisenhower at the St. Clement Theater. I'm going to check it out. That sounds great. It, it sounds, phenomenal. It sounds great. It sounds great. It was uh, great. And you realize, you know, just so, like, I, I, I don't want to take it. But, like, you know, when the play Hamilton came on and, like, you know, when it had all the, the lyrics, and my daughter loved it, and... And so, like, you woke up about the strength and the, the trials of Alexander Hamilton being a bastard and not having a family and coming to this country and all that he did. But it was just, for me, it was refreshing because you see the, the strength of Ike. And it talks about, the, the, the play is these, these reporters or these journalists rate, rate Eisenhower and they rate him as a president compared to other presidents. And they give him a lousy rating. And and basically, Eisenhower is going back and forth with a fellow with whom he eventually, you know, discusses writing a book with, challenging my guy to get such a bad rating. But at the end, he realizes it doesn't make a difference. But then at the end of the play, you see his ratings go up over the years so that people eventually recognize what a what an important presidency is, not only because of the the road network that Eisenhower produced nationwide, the interstate highway system, but what he did in terms of attempting mm. to negotiate down nuclear weapons, what he did across the country oh, yeah. on no, uh, an innovation. Well, yeah, and it's just like you really appreciate Ike, not only as a general, which sort of I always grew up with, particularly with my dad, thinking about Ike as you know this great American military leader. But the other thing is that I, I didn't know this that Truman was very much concerned about Douglas MacArthur running for president. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Truman was, was concerned because he saw that MacArthur, particularly during the Korean War, um, was not following orders. And that Truman said to Ike that if MacArthur would run for president, you Ike would have to run for president against them because Truman did not believe that he could defeat a national war hero. Right, right. And that Truman actually offered, even though Ike was, I think, more inclined to be a Republican, Kansas, et cetera, actually offered Ike the president, the, the Democratic nomination just to stop MacArthur. Uh, and it, you've sold me. I'm going to check this out. Yeah, and I, I no, followed. Like, it's stuff like, you know, it was only like in the 1950s. And I'm like surprised how much I didn't know. No, that's wild. I'm, I'm looking forward to checking it out. All right. Uh, speaking of the military, I have to ask you about uh, this rather uh, disturbing story that fentanyl, which we've seen the results of fentanyl on the streets uh, of the United States, uh, killing people. It's now taking its toll on the military, especially the U.S. Army. More soldiers died from fentanyl between 2015 and 2021 than died in active duty in Afghanistan during that same time. Now, members of Congress have introduced a bill that would require military officials to improve treatment for 
personnel suffering from drug addiction and to release data about overdoses in the armed forces. You've been on the front lines of this opioid epidemic. You know better than anybody the toll that it's taking on those in the military and elsewhere. And the families of a lot of these overdose victims say that military officials don't even know the scope of the problem and have been slow to help some of their loved ones. Give me your your thoughts on fentanyl in the military specifically. And this is an area that I think a lot of our audience may not necessarily be up on. So, so Frank, no, I appreciate this. So fentanyl obviously is a synthetic opioid. And so and so what the problem with fentanyl is, is not only that it's so toxic, but what it does to the mind, what it does to the neural passageways in the mind. I mean, that is, it's so toxic. So there's a couple of problems or challenges, if I could. One, and you and I have talked about this, is how people are discharged from the military. And so, you know, most people in like World War II Korea received honorable discharge. And then you have honorable discharge, you have general discharge, you have something called other than honorable, OTH. And I'll get back to that. And then you have bad conduct and then you have dishonorable. So bad conduct and dishonorable is you've gone through some type of of judicial process. Other than honorable, and you see a lot of it with addiction, when when people are discharged from the branch of service, whether it's the you know the Marine Corps, the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, and they're discharged, and a lot of it has to do with addiction. But the problem with it, Frank, is is that when you're discharged pursuant to OTH other than honorable, you don't receive any benefits. And and now they, they'll give you 30 days of psych benefits, but you're not getting any long-term medical benefits. You're not getting any long-term addiction treatment or mental health. So the first point is, is that when you're being discharged for OTH, and remember the kids, the, the, kids, the young guys and gals in the service are young guys and gals in America, right? So that they're not... They're not picked, you know, they're not picked, you know, mythically from some perfect place in the middle of the country. There are kids, right? So they they struggle with drugs. They struggle with everything that young people do. And so, unfortunately, in this country, while we're 5% of the world's population, we consume 99% of the world's hydrocodone. So we have a, I would argue, a far... We have an we have a substantial we have a substantial population that that is addicted. So the first point is is that I would argue that if Congress could do anything, Republicans or Democrats working together, it's the understanding that if somebody has an addiction problem, that they have to be treated. You have to get that young guy a gal. You have to get them into detox. You have to get them into residential treatment. And so what happens is, and I'll give you I'll give you one story. There was there was a kid at Newark, um, a kid from Newark, really great kid. He was his he was got his history ward in his, his local school, uh, and he's just a great young man. Um, he was in the Navy. He went to Groton. He was there for a year, specialized submarine school. He had done a long tour with the U.S. Navy. Went out with his buddies, and he made a mistake. And he says he made a mistake. He went out with his buddies and he he smoked some pot and then he did some cocaine. And then what happened was, is there was a drug test. He 
took off because he knew that he shouldn't have done it. So he was AWOL for a number for three days. Then he came back, was still in his system. And his commander said to him, you know, he had a conversation with him. And he, he was just a good young guy. And he said, look, I'm going to buck you down all the way down. And, and he was, like, frustrated with it. And he was going back and forth. And finally, he made a decision. He talked talk to HR. And they said, look, we're going to give you all these benefits. You're going to be able to go to these, you know, when you, if you get out because you've served so much time. But he didn't realize or to be fair to HR, they didn't realize that he had these pending charges. He gets discharged, OTH. He has no benefits. He gets, like, zero health benefits. He gets zero across the board. And he's got to start his life all mm. over again because of the drugs. And and the irony, Frank, is the commander loved this young man yeah. and thought he had a great career. He made, he made a stupid mistake, admittedly a stupid mistake, and he was so frustrated with himself, but he's like, you know, I won't say what he said. He said, Jim, like, he said, this was like, you know, years of my life, and, you know, so I just think that, you know, in terms of our father's generation, that young people today have the same challenges they have here, and, you know, you've got to support them and if somebody makes a mistake you know part of this is is having the the strength to honestly grapple with this problem and so what happens is to a lot of guys and gals you know whether they have you know a mental health issue or they have an addiction issue they'll frank actively try to duck it because they don't want it on their record they don't want to have it held against them in terms of considered for promotion and consider for a line of service and consider for another opportunity in the military, whether it's, you know, you know, in any of the armed forces. And so the irony is, yes, the military has done a, a better job of being aware, but it's the reaction. So, like, if you're aware there's a problem and you test for it, like this young, young fellow who, who, who loved the Navy, he loved the Navy, the, the goal would be is to say, all right. You did this, here are the consequences. You do testing, you do treatment, and you keep the young guy, you keep him engaged in the Navy for it. Not only his sake, but the sake of the United States Navy. And then you, you work with him and he'll and he will most probably with treatment and monitoring and basically you have treatment. you you have monitoring. You know, you have testing over a period of time. And you know, especially in this particular case, this young fellow I mean, he probably won't go off the rails. He, he, he was out with his buddies and he made a sure. mistake. But so that's it's just sort of it's a good thing. The testing is a great thing. But then what's the reaction by the armed forces to the testing? Right. If you discharge all of these. And I'll tell you this, Frank, when my father, God rest his soul, was alive in the Marine Corps. And, and when he was alive, we would get young guys into the Corps that had some some level of charges, and I'm not like, and like the the great strength of American military is 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 its own strength. And I know my my dad said my and his brother was in the corps that you know my father had got into some trouble as a young man. But I remember there was a time in the corps where they changed the standards, and all of a sudden these guys who had past drug charges couldn't get in. And so all that I'm saying is. 
one, you have to recognize that these young men and women come from America. They come from the same streets as everyone else. Second, testing for drugs is a really good thing. It's a, it's a wonderful thing so that you get everybody playing by the rules. The, the third point, though, is what happens when you have a positive? And when you have a positive, you can't go from zero or 180 and kid you're discharged. I think you have to give that young man or woman a way back. You have to just to give them, I'm not saying 12 chances. But I'm saying you have to give them, and part of that is is treatment. Governor, I'm just about out of time, but I can't let you go without asking you about this. And if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, former New Jersey Governor Jim McGreevy. You, part of what your role is at the New Jersey Reentry Corporation is dealing with people that are, were recently incarcerated and the family members of those yeah. that have been incarcerated. Yesterday was Father's Day, and you posted on social media that over a million and a half children have a father incarcerated in prison today, and that uh, you have a lot of children without their fathers on Father's Day and sometimes without the ability to pay the crazy fees associated with speaking to them. We have a large audience in prison, both federal, state, and county lockup all over the country, literally. And I'm very proud of that. But whenever I do these stories highlighting kind of the the plight of prisoners, I am deluged with emails from law-abiding citizens that say, what do you spend so much time talking about prisoners for? I never even did anything wrong, never even jaywalked. You should be spending time talking about the things that the law-abiding citizens have done. I'm sure you get that same question all the time. Why should the folks not incarcerated, the people that pay their taxes, always do the right thing, never break the law, why should those folks give a, a rat's behind about anybody in prison that made the choice to commit a crime? Frank, I love it. You can tell you're from Staten Island, a rat's behind. <laughs> Only a Staten Island guy would come up with that phrase. I mean, like, just like one. You know, we all didn't grow up with what you and I were blessed to have in terms of uh, having the ability, having a family, having the support system. I I just say, you know, I go back there, but for the great A lot of the guys and gals I work with, if I were in their situation, I would have made the same darn decision. And I, and I, and I just respectfully for people that are law-abiding, God bless you. All that I'm saying is a lot of guys and gals, you know, whether they didn't have food, they didn't have the right level of housing, they didn't have, they didn't have the, the quality of a job, they didn't have the training. I find, you know, I, I was just talking about this with with a friend of mine who happens to be a nun, and I said, "Sister, this was the other day at a the, the parish picnic, and and she's very involved in, in the St. John Soup Kitchen in Newark." And I said, "Sister, you know the level of gratitude for people that when you care about them and you give them an opportunity, there are very few people, Frank, that I know who want to go back into prison. There are very few, and and like I work, you know." This is my family. These are my friends. This is my that, – that people want that – you know, I say about second chances. Many people didn't have a, a first chance. And so that, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's getting people – it's the right values. It's the right behaviors. It's giving people second chance. But for me, a lot of it is the training. If you give people a training, whether it's a CDO or HVAC 
or general electric, a general electrician free apprenticeship program for the women we're doing phlebotomy. Like I, the woman that that we've trained to be phlebotomists. I can't even spell the word. It's you know taking the blood. Sure. To get them licensed, they're all working. They're with their kids, guys. And we got driver's licenses, guys that were doing HVAC. They don't want to like. Their goal. They don't wake up in life and say, "Let me break into a house." It's like it's that they didn't have the. They they might not have been blessed to have the the guidance, the direction in their lives, but they didn't have the skill sets, and that's another problem. And I won't, you know, but American education. It's not everybody's going to get a, a philosophy degree. Not everybody's going to be a lawyer. Not everybody's going to be a doctor. Give people skills so when they come out, they or like I beg people to come to New Jersey reentry, even New Yorkers. They come to um, that, that was a joke. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But 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 no. But I you know, I say New Jersey's the New Jerusalem. But I'm saying in a serious note that the importance of having a skill, the importance of having a trade. So when I say this, you know, I say to my friends that, you know, the reason why you make this investment is that you give somebody an opportunity, but I'd also make the argument to, you know, some of my friends that are, are, you know, conservative that this is a small percentage of the population. If you help them get their lives right and then you help them give them a chance, it's better for the entire community. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. And I'll just leave you with this. I we had we had Federal Express, we had we had UPS, we had guys lined up around the block, and I thought to myself, "Gosh, if I could show," and guys were like, they look good, they they felt good, and I said, if I could show this picture to all of America, that guys just want the opportunity, and so that's what we're all about. And you started the conversation is, are you a better person? Yeah, because of all the stuff that I went through that I brought on myself, I'm a better person because I understand that, as the old spiritual says, we fall down, but we get up. You know, as a Christian, I believe that it's our responsibility to help, you know, your your fellow person, but it's also understanding that that when you're helping others, you're actually helping yourself become a better governor. We're going to have to end it there. It is always a treat to talk with you. Let's do this again soon. And I will see you at Mario's place in Jersey city, the white manor Manor and tunnel. Love it. Can't wait. Uh, I'll see you. And if you, Mike Tyson can come that day too, that would be, that would be a lot of fun. So, Exactly. Jim, Jim McGravy, if you want to comment, uh, you could certainly do so, 800-848-9222. But first, we're going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000 if you are the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. You'll get a chance to answer uh, 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. We have a special Father's Day themed quiz for today. 800-848-9222. Seventh caller, $1,000 minute straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.